Welcome to the Shelfformers Podcast, the show about toys, why we like them, our connections to the figures, and their relevance to bigger topics. I'm your co-host, Darby, and tonight we're going to talk about what it takes to make a great Star Wars movie. And I'm your co-host, Sugu. Join us tonight with Shaddy. <laughs> Say hi, Shaddy. <laughs> Before we begin, by way of introduction, I'm Darby Harn, a freelance writer and editor and an independent author. Publishers Weekly called my novel Ever the Hero an entertaining debut, which uses superpowers as a metaphor to delve into class politics and an alternate America. You can find more information about me and my books at DarbyHarn.com. I'm also on Twitter at DarbyHarn. And I'm Sugu, your co-host. I work in IT and education, and I'm also passionate about writing and story. You can find some of my travel writings on allaboutjapan.com, where I've written various articles about my life and perspectives in Japan. Tonight, we're going to answer the age-old question. Why do Star Wars fans always complain about stuff? And we're going to actually uh, have, or we're going to bring on a special guest. We have Shaddy with us tonight. Shaddy, how's it going? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. How are you guys doing? doing well um so this whole this whole thing started because shaddy you had you had an idea not why do star wars fans complain but would you like to introduce your idea sure well just now when we were having our pre-discussion uh prior to to hitting the record button you know we've been talking about various discussions that we've had about star wars over the years um, Darby was sharing some discussions that he'd had with a, f- a friend recently, and then you both were talking in a previous episode, and just now again about you Every know episode. you've been having these conversations <laughs> for as long as you've known each other, right? This conversation topic uh, started. I was listening to a podcast uh, probably about a month ago, I think when I first messaged you um, about this, and someone just very briefly asked uh, on that podcast. Um, I think it was the Midnight Boys podcast. You know, I want to give them a reference, give them a shout out. Um, you know, what is it that you're looking for in a Star Wars story? What would, what would make you even happy? And that question was left in the air, and then they moved on very briefly, like very quickly, I should say, to a different topic. Um, but that question stuck in my brain. I, in fact, I even paused the podcast and just tried to ask myself, like, what would make me happy? What do I want? Yeah, what, what, what? <laughs> or, or instead of what would make me happy, and the more I thought about this question, I tried to think of it, you know, in a kind of objective sense. Like, what is it that makes a good Star Wars story? And these, you know, I've been having this kind of conversation, you know, in reference to what you were both talking about. Like, I can remember having probably some of the best conversations I've ever had about Star Wars, like eating lunch with friends in high school, right? Like, the Chinese restaurant in Shelbyville, Illinois, in a Chinese buffet there, um, you know being very angry about i don't know feeling like maybe the emperor wasn't completely wrong or something like that you know like so okay. uh, <laughs> okay. so uh all right that, that, that's the that's the conversation topic i'd wanted to ask was like you know if we got into a lab you know uh, this is now i'm sure news for everyone or everyone knows this uh dave filoni has been sorry darby you know the exact title it's the head of creative development 
Is that it? He is. He is the now the chief creative officer at Lucasfilm, which is to say he is running the show uh, creatively for Star Wars. Does not include Indiana Jones or Willow. Uh, not that anything at all is happening with those at the moment. Uh, Disney Plus restore Willow. Hashtag restore Willow. You cowards. <clears throat> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, if, if we were in the room with him, right, in his new big office, um, we were to write maybe on the board, give him some notes, right, just on the board, on the whiteboard, just have these yeah. kinds of things are the elements of an ideal Star Wars story. You know, like you can change the characters, you can change the setting in the universe, you can change the time in the universe, but these are the elements that I wouldn't even say that I... I I even want to stay a little bit away from like would make Star Wars fans happy. Like I, the story that they need, right? The, an actual good story, something that makes a a, a Star Wars story memorable, um, that causes us to have meaningful debate about it rather than just being angry, you know, on the internet. But like meaningful discussion about it, um, you know, that is a story that will remain, right, uh, for thirty years or whatever. Um, yeah, so I, that's what I was interested in what I kind of reached out to Sugu about and I'm really happy to, to get to talk about because I, I think both of you have you know more than having my own opinion I'm really curious to hear what the both of you have to say about this I'm really curious um, especially because I think all three of us are different kinds of Star Wars fans and have like different levels of not affection but like engagement with Star Wars right Darby I would imagine you're the most the most engaged right you used to write about Star Wars on a website I certainly haven't done that. Um, and Sugu, I, I don't know if I'm mischaracterizing, but I feel like through the comments you've made, you're kind of maybe the most disengaged with Star Wars, at least right now in yeah, your life. I, I was going to say, um, I think your, your question is very intriguing. For me, it would be, what, what would the Star Wars universe need to do to get me back in the franchise? Because I... I would not consider myself disengaged, but actively out. Um, okay. Like, I just don't pay attention anymore. So, to me, that's a really interesting uh, thing to ponder as well, is what would it take for for me to, to start buying, for example, Black Series figures, or to start really appreciating the shows and, and not watch them for the podcast so we can discuss them, but actually watch them because it's on my list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that we. <laughs> what well, uh, Darby just held up a figure, and I'm not sure what that was. This is Sabine. Oh, okay, that's the classic series. <laughs> this is the Kenner Retro, and then behind the laptop, which I won't reach because there's too much going on, is the Vintage Collection, and there is a Black Series version, which I don't buy Black Series, but I'll probably make an exception for Sabine and Hera and Chopper. <laughs> So, yeah, I think there's our background information. Yeah. Yeah, I think we have different experiences or, or different sort of ways of entry into Star Wars. I think the biggest thing with Star Wars, I think, when as we think about it in fandom today, is that Star Wars is so monolithic in the culture that it is inevitable that you will have different angles of approach to it. It's simply impossible to expect there to be any kind of consensus on Star Wars anymore as there is uh, anything that we talk about on the pod, and that includes 
Superman. Uh, we just talked about All-Star Superman, which is another episode I'm very fond of. Um, the MCU, you name it. Um, Star Wars in particular. Um, and so we have different, just, you know, we're slightly different ages, so we have different different sort of uh, uh, places where we were in relationship to specifically the original trilogy. Sugu and I uh, first met right after Phantom Menace, and that was a huge thing that we sort of bonded over was Star Wars and Phantom. I mean, you know, we spent an inordinate amount of time at Trinity College in Dublin talking about Star Wars and the Phantom Menace and, you know, and going to Smith's and playing with the lightsaber, having lightsaber duels in the courtyard at Trinity and things like that. Um, then you came I've been to very, me in California. We did it again. Did it again. And I've been very fortunate to have been out to Skywalker Ranch and have been to the Presidio uh, where Lucasfilm is headquartered. Um, that's all I can say about it. <laughs> but yes, you have different sort of, so your perspectives on it are very different. And so does that, is there a single answer for what do we want? What would make us happy? I don't think there, I used to think so. I mentioned a little bit before we started recording. I used to think it was very simple, um, especially particularly for people of my generation. And it's, it's important, I think, for us to sort of think about was it, what would make Star Wars fans happy. It's like, who are we talking about exactly? Um, for my generation, the, 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 for, for folks who saw original, the original trilogy at the drive-in and in the theater, I used to think that this was just very simple. Star Wars is very simple. Um, the DNA of Star Wars, the, the sort of the, uh, the whiz-bang of it is very, um, very simple. Of course, there's nothing simple about Star Wars, but what I mean is, is that, you know, I, we all loved it. It's all we talk about, so therefore we should probably have some sort of consensus on this thing that we all love. Turns out we don't. We all want different things, and that's because we're all different people, and we want we have different sort of approaches and relationships with it. And so if you're just a fan, if you're just enjoying it, and your your strongest relationship with Star Wars is your memory of the Skyview Drive-In or the Crossroads Theater on, you know, May 25th, 1983, your relationship is probably different than someone who's um, been to Skywalker Ranch a few times and who has insight into this, that, or the other thing, which shall remain non-disclosed. Um, and then your relationship is different if you're Dave Filoni and you're a fan who grew up and now you run the shop. Like, holy shit. Like, he's probably sitting there thinking, like, holy shit. And then Kathleen Kennedy walks by. He's like, oh, yeah, working. And he goes, like, holy shit. But, like, but but now his responsibility is basically the responsibility, you know, of carrying on the gospel. <laughs> like, this burden is, like, overwhelming. He, and he does not appear, Dave Filoni ever, has ever appeared to have been daunted by this task. So that's great. So um, here's what I think we should do. Yeah. When this episode gets published, just send this link to Dave Filoni. These let let him take this episode as like some pointers for him. If I hypothetically had ever had an opportunity to speak to Dave Filoni about anything, I would never in that hypothetical conversation have ever given any pointers about anything. 
<laughs> what could you say? Dave, fuck. let me tell you how to do your job, babe. <laughs> this is everything you're doing wrong, and this is how you fix it. Um, I mean, we could sometimes use you got to speak uh... truth to power, you know. <laughs> not, not, not if you want to work there. There's a lot of people. I'm sure. I'm sure there's a lot of people that go in there. This is how they're going to fix it, and they're like, "Thank you for coming in today." You know, like it's, you know, they have. I think it's fantastic just on the day front. I think it's fantastic that he's been promoted. I think at some point on one of the pods we did during the Ahsoka run, I think you were with us, Shaddy. I had I had said something to this effect that this this was what should happen as far as Dave running this creatively. And so this evidently happened a while ago and wasn't reported because of the strikes, but this is great. This is fantastic news for Star Wars, for Star Wars fans. Um, what Star Wars desperately needs is a shepherd and a guide, and they have that in him. And um, I'm curious to see, because this year coming up, 2024, is going to have probably the most diverse, uh, if the schedule holds, and we'll see because of the strikes. It's going to have the most diverse roster of Star Wars offerings on Disney+. Plus. So we're going to get things that are wildly divergent. We're going to get Andor Season 2. We're going to get a show called The Acolyte, which takes place uh, about a century prior to The Phantom Menace. Uh, we're going to get The Bad Batch. We're going to get, um, I'm forgetting something, Skeleton Crew, which is basically, the way I understand it, is basically if Steven Spielberg had directed Star Wars. So we're going to get very wildly different things. Does that diversity, does that variance in tone and flavors, does that continue with Dave now once he now that he's in control, or does he or does he just hit really impose his vision, which to this point has mainly been George's vision with filtered through Dave. So I'm most curious about that going forward, but I know that's not exactly what we're talking about. But you know, is does Dave have his finger on the pulse of Star Wars? I think so. You know, I I think so. Um, I think he has had since he came in into the fold. Um, I mean, he's one of us. He's started out as a fan. Yeah, he's a fan, and so is J.J. Abrams. So is Ryan Johnson. So is most everybody who's come into the fold. Um, and 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 so that's you know, but they all bring different things to it. J.J. His sort of idea was, I I'm just going to repeat what I loved and what I saw and what I remember. And th that really worked in The Force Awakens and it really didn't in The Rise of Skywalker. Ryan Johnson was like, I don't want to repeat what I saw and what I loved. I want to do something new. And some of us loved it and some of us didn't. And so you have this sort of you know ongoing thing and that the, the more that you have this, we love this so, and then we're always in conversation with what it in Star Wars Phantom, it feels like we're always in conversation with what we didn't like. And uh, that it's been that way since the Phantom Menace. Or as I was saying before we started recording, I think, you know, for for folks a little bit older than us, they hated the Ewoks. They hated Return of the Jedi because they felt like it was a tonal whiplash from Empire Strikes Back. Um, and then also that it was some sort of betrayal, you know, the introduction of the teddy bears and the teddy bears. It's not realistic that the teddy bears uh, could take down the Empire, uh, introducing this conversation we've had in Star Wars now since 1983 about what Star Wars is really about. Um, so the idea that we've always had agreement, we've always had consensus is not true. But 
it depends on what what do people what would bring everybody together you know old fans new fans casual fans diehards what's that mutual hatred usually brings people together no, I, I, I think I, th- I think that the, the magic of Star Wars for me and then it's about that sort of visceral connection, deep personal connection to Luke Skywalker, to Anakin Skywalker, maybe to Rey, um, to these characters. And you're in this world, which is just it, it's you know, it's perfect in, in a lot of ways, um, you know, and that's what people want. They want that connection. And, you know, how do you, how do you do that? How do you, you know, you can't just replicate it. Cause what happened with star Wars in 1977 was alchemy. What happened with the original trilogy was alchemy. And for some people watching this stuff now, young people, kids right now, people whose first introduction to star Wars might be the sequels, it might be Ahsoka, it might be something else. That it, that's alchemy too, and so you know, it's this thing. This is it's this thing that happens in your brain. Well, I, I'll just say like, maybe Sugu, I can't remember if maybe it was you who just said it now. Like, but it sparked something with me. I, I do think that like the making a story that will make the most people happy or will bring the most people together, that maybe is not. Um, that that's I think like that is a difficult that's what makes this question or that would what that is something that would make this question really difficult to do, and I think like make trying to come up with some criteria or some guidelines that would make a story that stands the test of time, or that sparks interest twenty years down the road. You know that like my son who is three months old will be really interested to watch this. A potential story when he's 16 you know 17 he's gonna watch star wars very soon uh maybe like not not soon 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 but relatively speaking he's gonna start I, I've you're gonna like Charlie this <laughs> you will by god um but you know because i don't know about you guys i i watched star wars the original trilogy on tnt um like you know however long that was um gives you some insight into like what my mom let me do for an entire Saturday uh, when I was a child, right? Just, there's Star Wars, watch all of it. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I'm interested in like, could we find some sort of criteria, like I just said, um, that would make a story that could be something that not everyone loves, but people are able to engage with in meaningful ways, I think. And that that is still a Star Wars story, but is a great story in general. Um, and maybe by way of starting, my wife and I were just eating, uh, tacos before the podcast started. Um, I made tacos tonight and she'd said, you know, what's the podcast about? And I told her the topic and, um, my wife, again, (laughs) my wife knows, knows about star Wars. She's seen star Wars, I think a few times but she doesn't know like a terrible amount about it. But, um, you know, while eating a taco, she said, well, isn't star Wars about family? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was an, well, that's an interesting thing to say. And she's never seen anything except for she's, she watched and fell asleep through the first season of Mandalorian. Um, and then she's seen the original trilogy, but she said, 
I said, oh, okay, like, so, yeah, like, family stories. It's about, like, a lot of different kinds of families. And she's like, no, 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 I'm, it's just about, like, the Skywalker family, right? That, that's what Star Wars is. It's just about the Skywalkers. And that really struck with me for a couple of minutes after, like, yes, I suppose to a person who is casually watching Star Wars, you might think it's just about the Skywalkers, but it's a, it's a, it's Star Wars, you know, it's a war across the galaxy, right? So it's it's a really big story yeah not stars and celebrities but i think that so in thinking about that like that got me to thinking what what would i be really interested in seeing or what what kind of a thing would i think would be like an ideal um thing to keep in mind when creating a star wars story is that it should be about human relationships you know like the, the relationships between people i think at various times some of the Star Wars stories have gotten far too wrapped up in a single family and their relationship with each other. But that relationship having a lot to do with like destiny, symbolism, deep meaning, um, maybe like someone's particular viewpoint on a father figure or a family figure or something like that. But I think that a meaningful story told within the milieu of star wars or told within the world of star wars could be about human relationships in a very like general sense or like in a in a meaningful sense you wanted to talk about the changing nature of a family for example you know like it could be a mirror on changing like society and how it's changed and how family structures are different right like found found family or lost family or coming to grips with the way that your family has changed i, I think that I, star wars does those things at intermittent times but I think that an ideal Star Wars story finds a way to have a meaningful discussion about not just family, but human relationships in general. So I think I that's, to... that's something that you can't lose sight of. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? No, it's true. I, I think one of the biggest challenges and people have, and there's sort of, you know, the discourse then the debate about is what that really means because the Skywalkers as a family are a, a lens for specifically George's views on everything society history mythology and so the skywalkers represent not just the american nuclear family but found family adopted family and ray you know in leia with the organas and then how the state corrupts the family and bends the family and destroys the family and then how the family redeems the state and how the state bends the family again and on in cycles and here we are again the cycles that happen within families of violence of abuse of uh, am i just am i just my dad again you know um am i all of that stuff and then so we all have different experiences with that because our family situations are all different so we have vastly different views on it in some cases very emotionally charged views on it because we are so identified with some aspect of it that um that it's everything to us and then when someone comes along and darby comes over and I, I push over your milkshake because i'm like it's this is this is my view on it you're like you know or george is like actually you know what that thing that you thought for the last 20 years <laughs> no it wasn't like that at all you know and you're like you know and then you can make a documentary about how george lucas raped your child <laughs> it's like okay you know so it's like it's almost it feels to me impossible to grasp sometime but asugu i know you got you got some thoughts you got some notes uh yeah just a couple things really like i was thinking in in coming into this episode i've 
I had kind of an easy answer as well, like kind of a quick, I got it. This is what needs to happen. But then as we were talking about it prior to recording, and then as I was thinking a bit more, I was like, you know, I, I don't think I actually liked my, my original answer. Um, what was your original? My original answer was simply that, that it should be mythic because that's what the original was. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I don't think that really, I, that's just a, a, a callback to my own childhood when Star Wars was mythic. But I don't need it to be my childhood. I don't need to recreate my childhood through every iteration of Star Wars. So I was th- sitting here thinking, and, and you know, one, one thing I really liked about Star Wars was the open source of it. Like I, I've mentioned open source to you before, the idea that people could jump like George Lucas. Yes. He made the, the original trilogy movies, but bigger than that, he made a sandbox. He made a playpen that everyone else could jump into. And one of the things that I was thinking about, you know, especially in terms of the, the mythicness of it is that is how we transmit culture timelessly is by letting everyone dip into the pool, by letting everyone play in the sandbox, by letting everyone play in the playpen. And some stories aren't good. Some stories are really good. You'll never know unless you make them all. And one thing I really like about Star Wars, especially in the past, was that expanded universe. You had a series of books called X-Wing. You had another Jedi Academy. You had the Thrawn trilogy. You had the comics. You had, like, it was just a playpen for everyone to jump in, make their own stories, write their own stuff. We were talking before about the early days of the internet. How many Star Wars-themed early internet pages were there that had, like, all sorts of different fanfic or all sorts of like crazy ideas that some of them were great. Some of them not so good, but they could all exist. And that, that uh, to me, that was a big part of it of why I like star Wars. Yeah. I, I think, I think it is a sandbox. It, it, it's a, it's the, it's a gigantic cultural sandbox. I, I think it is, um, as we go forward into the future and someday I've said uh, elsewhere in the pod at some point that there will come a point where it's in the public domain and it belongs truly to everybody where star Wars will really fly and it will really evolve and it will really, um, sort of, um, take on the, you know, we think of it as this humongous cultural thing. Now people, you know, people are like, well, you know, it's, it's, you know, how can it last or whatever It, 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 it will last. It, it it'll be a significant presence in the culture, provided we're still allowed to have one. Um, you know, for centuries to come. Uh, because I it, mean, the thing what is, it, the company that owns Star Wars right now is very good about protecting their intellectual property. Yeah, I th- there will come a point at, at which it you know it belongs to everybody, and it it will 
it will because it the role it serves right now mcu does too but really star wars is this cultural mythology and so we've transitioned from we've transitioned into a secular mythology which is good and bad it, it's star wars one of the reasons star wars is so successful is because as much of it's just popcorn entertainment it's instructive it's communicating the same themes and ideals and ethics and morals as the things that you know as the bible or or, or school or civic values and all those other things people are like oh it's just toys it's it's just a movie it's not just a movie um it is a source for values it is some people's values to the it's how they live their life i think it's in australia you can you can select you your religion or whatever jedi is a religion that you can identify with. i think it was um, uh uk sure it's, it's so i mean that, that's an extraordinary thing and so that's the part of Star Wars which will allow it to endure and allow it to continue and allow it to evolve is because it's the locus for a lot of people in terms of their values. And, you know, where I get sort of um, frustrated is when we're talking about things as we've talked about on the pod, where people, whether it's Superman, as we talked about last week, or it's Luke Skywalker, where we then confuse the values of those characters. You know, but then, as I said at the outset, that's inevitable because when you have something so monolithic, you will get people who simply confuse things because their approach to it and their understanding of it is limited to their understanding of it. So it's this thing you're not seeing all of it because it's so huge. So so I get frustrated by that because Luke Skywalker is is not a badass who's going to mow down the Empire. Luke Skywalker's the man who cast aside his lightsaber and stood up to the most frightening thing he'd ever seen in his life, which is the emperor, all powerful, evil incarnate. And was like, I beat you do whatever. Some people, a lot of people in my generation watched that movie. I dare say all of us watched it, but some of us have this image of Luke Skywalker that he was the biggest badass of all time. And that all he need, all the sequels needed was for him to whip out his lightsaber and kill everybody. Okay, but, but boy, this really you know. could take, does take us back to the All Star Superman because Luke's Luke Skywalker's power is that he didn't go all badass. Luke's story is that he becomes his father, and that moment on the Death Star when he defeats his father, and he's ready to kill him. And he has every justification for killing him. He has every justification for doing it. This is a guy, Darth Vader, who stood there and watched uh, 10 billion people get murdered on Alderaan. But when he cuts off his father's hand and he looks down and he sees that his father is truly just a machine. And then he real and he looks at his own and he understands that I have become the machine. I have become the state. I have become the robot marching ant to do what this guy, this old aging, what the fuck is this, by the way, behind me, that's what he wanted. That's what he does to all these blonde kids he gets a hold of. And he's like, fuck this. I'm not going to do this. It's very, very, you know, nonviolent, very Christian Catholic idea. Fuck this. You can't make me do it. I won't do it. You can kill me. You can't, but you can't make me do it. How did we get, and I don't want to linger on this because we've talked about this elsewhere and, and we want to talk about other things today. 
But when we talk about what makes what would make fans happy or what do fans want, some fans, a lot of fans, really want Luke Skywalker to be that guy, the guy who killed his dad, who just killed the Emperor. You know, the Punisher is not an instruction manual type thing, right? Right. right. Yeah, that was a really good point. I mean, I think that, yeah, my head's spinning from listening to like a lot of the things that you said and like ping ponging off of it. I think like what you said though is really meaningful you know the, the kinds of the human relationships between like luke and his father right or first luke and this this thing that he's terrified of darth vader originally right that he sees as a villain who then he finds out is his father and that changes his relationship to his other but i think very meaningfully like you're invested or we were all invested and most people are invested in luke and those characters, like for me, I was much more invested in Han Solo growing up. I, I idolized Han Solo and thought he was great. Um, He's great. It was one of the, the sad things I, was that finding out that Harrison Ford didn't really like Han Solo as much as I did. Um, but then and again, he's kind I, of an asshole. Harrison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose there's a new documentary out about him um, that touches very lightly on the fact that he is like a real asshole. Um, everyone just sort yeah. of, I haven't seen it. It's on Disney Plus apparently in there people are just sort of tiptoeing around it and like using euphemisms to, to point out the fact that he's a raging asshole. Um, Never beat your heroes. <laughs> um, but, but I think like, you know, the relationship between Leia and Han as problematic as it is in 2023, probably as problematic as it was in 1983 and 1980. What? Why was um, it problematic? I mean, she says no. Like the, the famous scene in, in, in the Millennium Falcon, like she's, you know, take your hands off of me. Don't touch me. I, I don't like oh. this. And yeah, I mean, I, I, there's just some problematic aspects of, of the way that he treats her um, that for a time and place was, you know. People, oh, sure. Yeah. It's, so, time I, I, I mean, it's I less problematic than that, Indian Marion. Well, I Marian, think who was Indian, 13. Indian Marion is, is very problematic. I think it was problematic at the time, too. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 but the 80s was a problematic decade in terms of the things that, that particularly the dynamics between men and women and also, like, the, the, the power dynamics. Uh, but anyway, like, that, that's a different podcast. Um, like, but those relationships are meaningful, and we were invested in them and interested in them, and, and they're still compelling now to watch, right? Um, because you want to know about what happens to those characters. You, they're, they're real human beings. You're watching them develop on the screen or on the page. So good to your point, maybe in, in the expanded universe, right? That that plurality of stories had a lot of fascinating characters that you were interested in learning about and you wanted to know more about. They weren't ciphers for like bigger ideas in which a storyteller was trying to just, through a character, trying to tell a larger point, right? Um, and sometimes those are meaningful, right? But you can go too far, I think. Um, and trust me, I'm I'm a left liberal. I love trying to, to use symbolism and metaphor in stories to, to talk about bigger things, larger topics. But that's not always... First off, you have to be good at it. <laughs> that's always a tricky proposition. And oftentimes, many people are not good at it. So the story comes out bad. Um, and so... I think it's much safer and much better to tell a story about good that starts with good characters. And so I think that that's it starts with good characters and the way that they interact with other characters to form meaningful relationships and to watch those relationships develop over the course of the story. So I think that's 
something like I, I I can't think of a meaningful interesting character from the the sequel trilogy and I don't I Darby uh, you kind of mentioned this so we don't need to go on the the sequel trilogy but there isn't a meaningful relationship in the in the sequel trilogy there there there, had, there was the potential for it but yeah. yeah there was you know like I was fascinated by by Ben Solo and I even had an emotional moment watching him I knew he was going to I had no idea that he was going to kill his father. Sorry, spoiler warning. Um he was going to kill Han Solo until it happened. Like maybe like you know, the screen goes dark, the light goes out, the music plays. He starts mumbling, um oh, I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. And then I said to the person sitting next to me, uh oh no, don't do it. And the person sitting next to me in the theater said, "What, what, what are you talking about? Don't do it!" <laughs> he said the second time. Every it was pin quiet in the theater, and I I like said it a, like a level three voice. Don't do it! <laughs> and, and he did it right, but yeah. like that was that was the potentiality for those kinds of relationships. To, 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 but that sort of ended in the first movie, and the second movie was as much as I love. Anyway, yeah, we're not going to go on this. The second movie, I think, was not as interested in those kinds of things. It was interested in bigger ideas, which I loved. It was great, but was not really about the as much, and like well, certainly not connected to the first movie. Well, that's right? just like, it, it right? Telling... Like there were all there was all sorts of potential um, potentiality in the relationship. You had Rose, this rebel, total fangirl for Finn, mm-hmm. actually meeting her hero. And that bottomed out into nothing. You had Benicio del Toro's character, who was so damn unimpactful. I can't even remember his name. He didn't have one. He didn't even have one. No, he he referred to himself only as DJ, which was an acronym for "Don't Join." What? Okay, so he should have been a fascinating character, because every relationship he had is all on this um, cost matrix, right? Like, what's the cost-benefit analysis? Everything. Every relationship he has. I think the larger problem in, like, some of these things we're talking about with, like, what the idea is, is that recent Star Wars has been very in love with ideas. Um, and But they're not developed in the biggest... One of the biggest sins in writing is not developing your ideas. We all have great ideas. Right. But great writing enacts ideas into action. And so when you have when you have a character like um, Finn, who's a stormtrooper who who deserts, it's a great fucking idea. We haven't seen anything like this in Star Wars. Right. So you have mm-hmm. all this potential for like, where does that go? What's the idea of like this, you know, turns on his programming. It took it took Anakin three movies to do what Finn does in the first ten minutes of Force Awakens, right? To be like, no, I'm out of here. So how how does that happen? And then and Finn and just then saw some, someone get executed, right? Like that was it. That was his turning point. He saw a whole village be executed. And then that storyline goes nowhere. The Rose story go, line goes nowhere. The Poe storyline goes nowhere. Ray is the only mm-hmm. person who has an arc and then we're frustrated by it, not because there's anything wrong with Ray or certainly with Daisy, is because it we've seen it. We've seen it. So some of us wanted something a little bit different. 
And so that itch is really scratched by Ahsoka because Ahsoka's arc and journey is similar to Anakin, to Luke, to Rey, but it's different, right? But so Rey is just, Rey is repeating all those things. And then in its worst case, she's simply taking out all the toys. So she gets the lightsaber. She gets the Millennium Falcon. She gets the X-Wing to fly to, to defeat the Emperor again. And then unlike Luke, who defeats the Emperor through nonviolence and through true heroism, she does she does this Saturday morning cartoon thing, which is not her problem. It's a failure of the writing, which is she just knocks his lightning back on him, right? And she's like, oh, the reason Mace couldn't kill him in Revenge of the Sith is because he only had the one lightsaber. All, I, all Mace needed was two lightsabers. So is he dead for real? Like, why is he dead now? But he wasn't that. So we like ideas, but you got to you got to empower that stuff into action. And then and then the reason the original trilogy works so much is because that's what's happening. And then underneath all of those ideas and all of those actions, when Luke throws away the lightsaber, you're like, well, this is just a story beat. No, not only is it all the stuff I was talking about before, the rejection of the state. The, the, embr the embrace of the divine, it's also beneath all of that is all the things it's tied to in mythology. Our Arthur, the Green Knight, Christ, you name it. It's all in there. And we've been talking about that and writing about that and lecturing about that for coming on 50 years. So, so th those are, you know, like you were saying, Sugu, like, you know, you feel like it has to be mythic. It does have to be mythic. I, th I think where we struggle the, in the recent Star Wars and like, we're, we're, uh, why aren't we all on the same page in fandom or maybe in the creative side of it is because we just have different approaches to that and we have different ideas about it because we're all coming from a vastly different point. It's like, how do we get to the same spot? I don't know. I really don't know. I feel like I'm kind of repeating myself there, but like, I don't know. I think the best way to tell a great Star Wars story is like Shadi said, it's just it's to tell a story with a great character who goes on a journey that changes them, and they change and they you know fundamentally changes. And you're not playing games with the audience. Don't play games with the audience, you know. Um, and, and you know, and don't, for me personally, don't lean on the nostalgia. I don't need to see a big round object blow up again. I don't need to see it. Well, I think that's one of the biggest problems with the, especially the most recent Star Wars, since certainly since the Disney acquisition. Nothing is taking a risk. Um, everything Star Wars is playing it safe, and everything is playing on nostalgia. I mean, okay, I, uh, maybe not nothing in the absolute, because we saw yeah, I, we saw Andor and Ahsoka both telling something different, and they were successful because of it. Yep. Mandalorian I, started that track and then it veered off, especially I think season three was it. I can't keep track. Boba Fett completely wasted, <laughs> right? Like um, yeah. all of this, I, I, you see. I think there's a lot of risk taking in current Star Wars. I, I I think it, you know, it's it's just all down to like taste. It's all down to like, did this work for you or not? Andor really made a lot of people happy uh ahsoka feels mostly people were into it and then there you know there's some people really didn't like it i just sort of at this stage i just sort of like i'm i, I just expect that from an aspect of the audience from this star wars fandom so i don't get i'm, I'm just i'm surprised by it sometimes because 
like, you know, I thought Ahsoka was great. We talked about it a ton on the pod. You know, I, we called some balls and strikes on it, but like Ahsoka was great. So Ahsoka is like, what is Star Wars? Like, that's Star Wars. It's it's a it's a it's a mythic journey with a great character who undergoes a huge change, and it's not quite what we it's, it has elements of what we've seen before. There's definitely some nostalgia bait going on, um, but it's also the resolution and the, the progress. It's it's also exploring new things and it's taking us different places. For me, the ending of Ahsoka was really really strong. It was really really profound. Mm-hmm. Um. Um. And or it was just sublime, you know, Bad Batch in its own way is just outstanding. It's I was really struck. We did an episode about tech and the Bad Batch and just how I really identified with that, you know, and some of it, some of it doesn't work, you know, and it's and it's just sort of like, you know, I, I, maybe the biggest secret for me personally, like what's what could make Star Wars fans happy or bring Star Wars fans together is not to get too bothered about this or that. It's like, you know, it's like. I, you know, you don't have any control over it. You don't have to like all of it. You don't have to like any of it. You know, I mean, you're disappointed because it was the most important thing ever, you know, and, and maybe I, and I'll get off my soapbox. Like one thing I feel like is missing is like as children, we really identified with Luke. We really identify with Han. We really identify with Leia. We were on this journey ourselves from youth into adulthood. I don't have, um, uh, in my in middle age I don't have a, a figure like that in Star Wars with the exception I think of Ahsoka but her journey is so different from mine I don't really you know what I mean I can't really connect to her on that level the way I could Luthen? Luke or Han or Leia so you know what about Luthen no Luthen? these people Luthen? Luthen I these people are you know are so you know, I identified with Luke in The Last Jedi because at that point in my life, I, I was uh, I was an old man living on an island in Ireland. And so I was like, and then I was really isolated and grumpy. So I was like, I sort of identified with that. But then, but then also that was such a transitory moment. I, I would like for me personally, I would like to find Star Wars that, that's, you know, that I, I feel like I can kind of see my, what function does it serve? in my life now except for nostalgia and we have we have such a pervasiveness of nostalgia and this need to trap people of our generation in the amber of nostalgia star wars i think survives and functions and has value because it communicates value but there's a lot of it that that doesn't there's a lot of this stuff this content that's just junk food and you know it has no true value. So I can always, regardless of whether or not I find an avatar in current Star Wars or future Star Wars for where I am in my life, I can always take from it the the values and, and, and the morals and the lessons that it instilled in me as a kid. That will never change. And then one of those lessons is, is not to get too bothered by shit. Like not to get bothered by the fact that this isn't what you thought it was. Because Luke, nothing Luke encountered was what he thought it was going to be. His entire life was you know, from a certain point of view and soapbox, I'm like, I'm, I'll get off. Well, like what I'm feeling as we have this conversation or as this conversation moves on is that I'm struck by the idea that in answering this question, there could be like big questions, big, big ideas, and then small sort of mechanical 
mechanical if that, that's not maybe the right word but like smaller things that that you need to do within the scope of an individual story or the way that scenes are constructed the way that the story itself is constructed on a more granular level and so i think like maybe it might help to, to swish our mouths out and go for a smaller level concept and i have one um mm -hmm. so I, I sent sugu um a message today like a link um, with a quote from Dave Filoni saying that in his mind, essentially, everybody can become a force user um, with the right amount of training. At first, I, I felt very upset about that. Um, I wanted to, because in, the, in, in my own head, I heard like, well, why are you upset about that? You talk at length with other people that you believe in the democratization of the force, right? So I had to think about that for a little bit. Thankfully, I was trying to put my son to sleep for a while, so I had some time to think about that. And I'm curious to hear like your opinions, but I'll say it isn't that I don't like the idea. I don't care for when I when I think a lot of people are talking about the democratization of anything. They're talking about access. Um, that and also the destruction of barriers or. Um, the opening up of something of anything, like whether it be like voting rights, whether it be access to water, whether it be access to resources, like being able to live in a place, being able to work for a livable wage or not having to, to be tied to wage in general, being able to just work or create and then have the right to go to sleep with a full stomach, find a place to sleep, like all these things about access that kind of gets muddled when we use that word like democratization of something and then it gets applied to something like the force i don't i personally don't feel that and you guys maybe have differing opinions but like i don't feel that, that means that every single person has the force because what makes star wars special i think what makes a lot of stories in general special when we talk about superpowers right is that Inherently, some people have them. That's what makes them a little bit special. What makes them a little bit unique is that they're different, right? That it causes them to be different from others, right? Like, there's a weirdness about Paul Atreides that makes him different from others. And everyone having the force from a purely storytelling standpoint, it just gets really muddled. Like everybody in the story, in the, for in the story is a force user. Everybody like could potentially be a force user. I think of it like this. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of jumping, but like I was recently watching, uh, uh, maybe you guys are watching this as well, like Blue Eye Samurai on Netflix. It's an interesting show. I don't want to spoil anything for any listeners who are interested in watching it. It's fairly popular. It was popular for about a week, I think. It's just about a character, a, a samurai in... Not a samurai, actually, a lonin in in a fictional version of uh, Edo era Japan, uh, Tokugawa era Japan, with blue eyes, who's on a revenge journey. It has some elements of Kill Bill, um, obviously some elements of a lot of the things that Kill Bill, um, you know, borrows from, right? And it's an homage to. But one of the things that I started to get a little bit tired of while watching the show was that everybody had a had a katana. Everybody has a sword. It's like every scene, half of the people are drawing swords out and slashing at each other. And 
I thought by the third episode, I'm getting a little bit tired of these fights because they're all the same kind of fight. Um, there's nothing unique about them. They're kind of boring at this point. The staging is slightly different. They're doing a couple of like increasingly more bizarre sword technique, which are not realistic. They like, but they have it has to keep one upping itself because it's already taken this thing, which is the katana. Like, they were not actually that common in Japan. There's a reason that people would steal them off of dead bodies, right? Like, it was quite rare to get a good katana in Japan, and they were a valuable commodity. They meant something, and I kind of feel the same way about about lightsabers. I feel the same way about the force. Like it's a valuable commodity when it's on screen, when it's in a story, it means something. And when it's used sparingly, it can be a, a really good story. And when suddenly you've got, maybe there's a reason I felt, you know, going back to <clears throat> where we were talking about attack of the clones, maybe I just saw too many lightsabers on screen at once. And there was something about it that just made me kind of like, I don't know if I want to see that many lightsabers. It was really special in the original trilogy when, only a few people had it, and it set those people apart. Yeah, maybe I'm being a snob. Who knows? This is this is <laughs> this could be it. Had no idea. I'm a populist when it comes to everything except for lightsabers and the force. But <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what you guys feel about that. So for me, so if I could distill that down to a point, I just feel that a good Star Wars story is one in which the force and lightsabers. So those two things are generally hand in hand, although not so much lately, when those are used sparingly. So I don't think your two points are actually in opposition to each other, because I think it's one thing to say that the force and lightsabers are democratized, as as you were saying, access. Everyone can access it, but a few people use it sparingly or a few people have taken the time to actually learn how to use it right i mean you see that everywhere we all have access to the internet anyone who's listening to this podcast anyway has access to the internet but what we get out of it is different per person some people only jump on uh tmz or whatever like celebrity gossip stuff that's out there some people use it to like get advanced degrees that are online right so it, it all depends on how you use it and that use makes it special and then in, in the other thing that you're saying is using it sparingly that's on screen like what you see i agree with you i think for me when i saw attack of the clones i really did check out when all the jedi erupted on the coliseum and all the lightsabers kind of kind of turned on because to me it was like okay well the jedi are here and they're like the deus ex machina they're gonna fix everything and yeah it was just too much that being said if you look at the bigger picture the jedi the lightsaber wielders were a small portion of that population and on screen, it, it, it was, apart from that scene, it was still used sparingly. So at least that's my, my kind of thought. Darv, I saw you shaking your head. Yeah, I, the, the institutionalization of the Force is what leads to the Jedi's downfall. Right. 
the the fact that there are ten thousand people with a lightsaber leads to this bureaucracy, which which contributes to their downfall. That's that's what's happening in in the prequels and I guess in the sequels as well. Although we sort of trample over that. Um, the it comes down to, for me like how do you view the force? Do you view the force as a resource? Is it water? Is it air? Or do you view it as a town? Anybody can dunk a basketball. I can do it with a trampoline, right? But some people can dunk a basketball. Some people are Usain Bolt and can run whatever whatever he runs. Some people are James Joyce. Um, anybody can write a book, right? Right. Um, so I... My view, and I said this when we were talking about Ahsoka, was like I, I was really thrilled with the arc that Sabine went on because it got us back to this point that we really left behind in the original trilogy, which is that anybody can use the Force. And this is George's vision. He's spoken to this. Um, and the Force is a living thing that connects. Yeah. Well, sorry, it, it, it connects all living things. Yeah, I think I think there's a misnomer in, in some, so, some people sort of view the Force as this thing that you go and get. The force is, lives in everyone. It, it's part of this galaxy that they live in. It's an aspect. Everyone has the force. They wouldn't say, "I have a I have a poster of Princess Leia above my desk, and on the on it it says, "May the force be with you." They all say this to each other in a galaxy far, far away. They wouldn't say it to each other if they didn't believe it. The force can be with you. May it be with you because it it can be with anybody, and that's the romance of Luke Skywalker. It wasn't until we find out that he's descendant from, you know, Anakin Skywalker from this lineage and, and indeed the Force itself because Anakin's father is the Force. The, it isn't until then that we start thinking of these things that, are, are, that have to do with divine right. But until then, we, we are in love with the idea that anybody can do it and so I can do it. And so for me, that, that's the romance. Was, I can use the Force and it's like... Um, Kevin Smith in one of one of his movies, like Silent Bob, where like is it Mallrats, where he's like, I can do it, and then you know he miraculously uses the force. I mean, come on, didn't we all as a kid like reach for the the remote control or reach for something, and didn't we like try to use a force to flip the light switch? That's all I did, and then when they got the (laughs) post office, was the first building in town to get the sliding doors. (laughs) <laughs> and so when they got the sliding doors, every time I went there, it was like, Psh. yeah. So like, I mean, come on, I still catch myself doing that sometimes. Just wave my hand in front of the door, yeah, and it opens. Exactly, it's me using Ex- the force, man. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I I'm I'm a big believer in the idea that that anyone can use it, and it, you know, it, is it talent? Is it is it is it a resource? Uh, the access idea. Is really interesting. I I, I think it, it 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 exists. It's there. And then for me, thinking of it truly, it's like, is it anybody can write a book, but not everybody can be James Joyce or insert a writer here. It's like, is it really? Is it does it? Is it speaking to you? It's speaking to everyone, but can you hear it? And that you know, some people can learn to hear it. Some people will just never hear it for whatever reason. It doesn't matter. But you can learn. You can learn how to write a book. You can learn how to slam dunk a basketball. You better do it while you're young. But, like, you know. But anyway, yeah. 
I have another thought real quickly, Shay, before you respond uh, along those lines, which is that um, in, in talking about democratization and increasing access, uh, one of the things that I've noticed with with my students and then also just like in general online and then gamers as well, there's this constant pressure of min-maxing, which is to say like, you're always trying to optimize whatever you're doing for the best possible results and everything needs to be like the greatest thing ever or has to be liked on social media or, or something right it's always got to be in the superlative but when you democratize when you democratize when you increase access to everyone you have to allow for things to suck you have to allow for <laughs> things to like just not be good and I, and, and i'm okay with that you know, there was a time when I didn't like Star Wars that was like bad stories or whatnot. But I'm of the time, I'm of the age now where I'm like, yeah, things things don't have to be good. Things don't have to be perfect. Some things are allowed to suck and that's okay because we'll, we'll let it suck. We'll learn why it sucked and then we'll move on. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think you both gave a lot of context to that thought and I'm not going to push back against anything. I think what you said, everything that both of you said was really meaningful. I mean, like Sugu, you know, your point to sucking, right? As Hu Yang says, you know, Sabine really does kind of suck at using the force and there's a place for her, you know, there, like she doesn't have to be as good as, um, you know, Ezra, although who would know that Ezra was good at using the force? I certainly couldn't tell that much. Um, maybe he was pushing people around a little bit. Um, sorry, I'm still bitter about it. But uh, <laughs> I guess I, I think that and maybe I wasn't explaining myself well because I got I was falling a rabbit trail. And I, I think that what I said, what you what you both hit on was something that was an important thing that I said or important about what I'd said or important to talk about. But I suppose even just on a more basic level my point is just that lightsabers are just this cool fucking thing they're just really really fucking cool they're the coolest goddamn things in the world i'm sorry at mm -hmm. the age of 37 i still think they're the coolest fucking things there um and i just think that they should be used not so liberally maybe um for a good story I think that just because when, when something is so goddamn cool that hitting this, like spamming it, right? Like you, you, you tend to like, not to make an analogy, I don't, I don't know what, what the Venn diagram is with on this podcast uh, listenership uh, when it comes to American football fans. I do know Darby, you and I are allies. Um, yes. Cut from the city, yeah, but uh, listening to, uh, so peek behind the curtains to, to the podcast listeners, both Darby and I are San Francisco 49ers fans and mm -hmm. big game. Uh, Monster. Really big game. Very mixed feelings about it. I'm trepidatious um, about the, the, the matchup in Philly. Um, but in talking about the Philadelphia Eagles offense, which is a beguiling thing, I don't, I don't care for it. Um, but uh, uh, Ben Solak uh, I think, no, Stephen Ruiz uh, on the Ringer NFL podcast was saying that 
their offensive philosophy is just hit the hit the repeat button on the thing that works really well. It's a very simplistic offense. You just keep doing it because it works. And people do it in video yeah. games. I think you can yeah. make that mistake with lightsabers and for, and 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 force users as well. Like you can just like this is everybody loves this. It's great. We love it. It's sure. cool. More of it is better. Well, to when we're point, talking about things like, like as you just said, just to finish that really quick, like as you just mm-hmm. said, like, when we're talking about like access, yes, everyone should have access to the force. Everyone should like people who don't look. It should be all different kinds of people from all different kinds of walks of life to tell a lot of unique diverse interesting stories those people should hold lightsabers those people should use the force what i just think is using it really lazily as like a cheat code essentially They're like oh well if we just use it this will be a good story it's star wars because there are lightsaber wielders because there are force wielders this is a star wars story not i don't think so i think that's a you know if there is a god, the Philadelphia Eagles will lose on Sunday, and sure enough, that that's a bad story in Star Wars as well. So yeah, I, that that's I think what I was trying to get at, and I don't know how you feel about that, but yeah. Well, I have a, I have a lot of thoughts there that are both about the football and the the force, but the like just to go with like the the, the use thing. So the Eagles are Luke Skywalker at the brotherly shove to the point where everybody else in the NFL wants to legislate it out of existence and probably will next year, right? So there you have like, you know, everybody's trying it. Everybody's trying to do this. They simply can't do it. Why can't they do it? Is it is it because they're not talented? No. Everybody in the fucking NFL is like talented. Why can't they do it? There's They've got the magic sauce. They've got something, whatever. They got Jalen Hurts. Um. So, you know, and then, like, you listen to, like, I listen to Dan Lebetard, I listen to Mina Kimes, I listen to Pablo Torre, um, you know, and so they're always talking about this stuff. And it's like, how do you stop the brotherly shove? You legislated out of existence. So, like, you know, but to that point, though, to, like, I think just to kind of echo my earlier point, it's like, so you and I have different views on it. And it's like I was saying, like, we, everybody has, like, a different like view on the force and it's like i don't know that there's like a right or a wrong actually i think that whole idea and the, the problem in fandom these days is like you know this is the this is how it is is so toxic is to is to stifle conversation is to make it not fun star wars has not been fun for me for a long time i'm not necessarily talking about the content but like the discourse and the fandom has not been fun for like a long time the gatekeeping I've been on all sides of it. You know, I'm just a fan. I've written about it. Like I said, I've been very lucky in my life to have a little bit of insight into some of this and a little bit of real privilege. And so, you know, that that to me is just, you know, that's that's just a joy. Star Wars is just a joy to me. So I don't really like, and I'm not bothered by like other people. I'll argue balls and strikes that people, you know, they want to bring this objectivist bullshit into Star Wars the way that they do all these other things that I grew up with. Yeah, I'm going to meet that at the door every single time. But, like, I'm not bothered, like, if, you know, people have this view or that view of it because the views on it are just so different by almost – but it's it's an, it's inevitable that they would be, you know, what I'd like to go back to a time when it was all kumbaya. Was it ever kumbaya? Like I said, I remember being eight years old and my uncle PJ was like, this fucking teddy bears ruined it. They ruined it. I'm like, what's wrong with Wicked? 
What's wrong with the Ewoks, man? They're fucking awesome. The Ewoks, they fucking killed the Empire. That's not realistic. It's not realistic that people without any weapons could take down the Empire. And even at eight years old, no lie. I was like, but that's the point. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what I was sitting over here thinking like, but that was the whole point of the Ewoks. That was the point. Not eight years old anymore, but I'm still telling people that was the point. That was the point. Like that movie, those movies are not what you thought they were. Those movies were a critique of American foreign policy and American imperialism. And you didn't, you never, you never got it. You never got it. Well, equally, some people thought Punisher is an instruction manual. Some people thought Rorschach is a hero. And you can't control it. You can't control it. Because like I said, I think I said on All-Star Superman, you know, Rorschach, people, Alan Moore was like, what? what? And it's like, didn't you read it? Like, of course they read it. Of course they read it. They read it and they loved it as much as you do. Right? And But they just took something different from it. And that's the thing. And then another thing that I don't get mad about is because I understand as a writer, people are going to take different things. from you. you have no control over it. And you can't get mad about it right you can people can ask you a question you'd be like no (laughs) no that is not how it was but you're not you have nothing you have no control over someone else's reaction to it you can you can fly a plane around with a little sign that trails behind it and you can say that rorschach is a villain or whatever and you know and then people will, will just not get it or not it won't be their interpretation i yeah Man, maybe I'm the villain of this conversation now. Who knows? <laughs> still, I, uh, no, there's no villains. No, it's it's just going for the comedic timing. Um, no, that that. Well, so I, I'm curious to what you think. But as I'm as we're engaging in this conversation, I'm now I'm just feeling like I'm back at the bottom of the mountain. With the other the question is that, you know, it really is hard to find these these criteria like what would you do to tell to tell to just to say hey dave like these are the things that you got to do man you'd have me in the room being like one lightsaber god damn it maybe two on screen max three and then you know but the very valid points <laughs> that it could be more actually from the, from the other side of the it's room like a lightsaber quota <laughs> You know, uh, that's the thing, right? Like that scene that I referenced in Attack of the Clones, which had every single lightsaber in existence come out. That was also the point of that scene is to showcase the death of all of that. Yeah, I think it can be used in 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 a lot of a lot of um. It can be used really meaningfully to effect, right? Like you can use too many lightsabers on the screen to, to show something in the same way that like you know for example in a i don't know in something like a some you know going with the theme earlier talking about samurai like you could talk about how at one point you know there's a bunch of people pretending to be samurai right it waters waters the thing down and the product becomes really like it's hard to tell who's a samurai and who's not and then you've got the you know like there are different ways to use that that kind of storytelling like mm-hmm. that, that device, I should say, right? Um, yeah, so it could be really useful to, to tell. Um, I'm curious what will happen moving forward, like what, what that what that actually means 
to Filoni, right? When he says anybody can use the force, is he speaking specifically in the context? I mean, the article, the, the picture is of Sabine. Um, but does he mean that? And I felt while reading like, okay, this, he's talking about Sabine really. He's really justifying, right? Because the pushback, I think, it came from a lot of people. A lot of people were not fans, much like myself, of Sabine's arc in um, Ahsoka. But what does that mean going forward for Star Wars? Is this going to, ref to be reflected in a lot of different ways? Different characters, new characters that we have no idea about, right? Um, skeleton crew. Um, I'm really excited for the Acolyte. I would imagine the Acolyte is probably going to adhere more to traditionally because it's a prequel right so it's going to probably adhere to more older ideas right whereas maybe story in like the, the contemporaries timeline the contemporary timeline i don't know if like the feloni verse is still technically in the past right um it's not their latest story right in the timeline um so i, yeah, I don't know I'll, i'm curious as, yeah i'm excited for the acolyte i think it's gonna be fucking awesome but very exciting uh, just from what I saw. Yeah, Sugu and, and uh, Darby, like, I'm, I've am i given the first two or three, I don't know, is it two? Maybe three-ish? Uh, things that I'm curious, I wouldn't throw against the wall for Dave to see. Um, how about y'all? Like, what do you, do you have anything that you're like, hey, I really think this is something you need to put in your, your Star Wars story as you're writing. Don't forget this. Do you have any, like, small things or big things? Do you need more aliens? Do you need more creatures? Do you need like, do you need to see old technology, not new technology, right? Like used technology. That that's it. That could be a vital part of the Star Wars story for you, right? Um, I think recently I heard a podcast uh, where they were talking about Ridley Scott, and they were talking about the visual dynamic of Alien. And one of the things that makes that a timeless Star uh, science fiction story is that used future, right? And that's a, that is a, a part of Star Wars, the original Star Wars. And I think that's perhaps a big thing reason that people felt so disjointed when they saw the sequel trilogy, right? Is that everything was shiny and new. That wasn't their Star Wars, right? Um, they needed that kind of used future Star Wars. So is, is that like a fundamental element that you need to see, right? Or, yeah, what do you, what do you need to see? Yeah. Um. I think the biggest thing for me, if I had an opportunity to, to have a, a, a bullshit session with Dave or with anybody would be, um, I think the most important thing for me as a writer and as a fan for Star Wars is that Star Wars needs to listen to its past. It cannot speak to it anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that that's it for me. And then whatever Dave wants to do or Leslie Headland or all the people who are going to be working on this for the rest of my life, you do you, because I want to see you. I'm not going to like all of it, and I'll say so. And that's cool. It's not going to bother me. I'm not out anything. I, I, I'm i the recipient of the coolest thing ever. So I'm, I'm good, right? But, you know, we'll bullshit about it on the pod, because that's what we do. But I'm not going to, you know, I, I just, it, 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 it can't, it can no longer speak to its past. It has to, it has to speak to the future. That's a good point. I like that. The idea of speaking to the future. That's something that I think is, you know, the original stories aren't, well, the original trilogy is speaking to the future, but speaking to a past that we don't know about, right? Um, I was listening to the past. I was listening to the past of 
Flash Gordon and King Arthur and all of that, and it was speaking to a future. It was speaking to our moment, but it was speaking to our future that we were going to get past the moment. And we were going to get past this moment of, at the time, and we forget this because we forget everything, at the time was severe existential crisis in this country, in the United States, about who we were as a country, what our past was, which our past was glorious, and our what was our future in this moment, post-Vietnam, looking into the absolute depths of the Cold War, a pessimism, which at the time Return of the Jedi came out in 1983, which was deathly pessimistic about the future, to the point where it was just expected at this time that the bombs were going to drop any minute. And at several points in 1983, they almost did. So we forget that. It's helpful to remember some of that. But then the story, though, again, these dimensions, what is it really speaking? Star Wars, to me, is always speaking to the future. It should. When it, when it doesn't, when it speaks only to the past, when it becomes this almost masturbatory, slavish thing that it is often in the sequels, I really, really dislike it. I want to know what the future is. I want to know all the promise that J.J., generated and Ray and Finn and Poe and then abandoned in Rise of Skywalker and you know um but that's what that's was his interest he wanted he wanted to remix the hits and for a lot of people that was very successful that that was very you know these are three of the most successful movies ever the sequel trilogy that's cool that's cool it's not my interest but anyway I I'm repeating myself on that shit so you uh yeah i mean for me i just i would want to see things opened up i'm not i'm not a nostalgic person by nature i'm not pining for my childhood or i'm not wanting to recreate anything from my childhood what i want are um the things that my childhood represents carried forward so like you know we've talked about this before Optimus Prime should not be ripping people's faces off. He always cares about sentient life, right? That's his core. Superman ain't going to be breaking necks. That's not Superman. So Star Wars, I don't need the pander to nostalgia. I don't need the, the, hey guys, remember this? You like the thing from before. Here it is again. Like, I don't need that. I don't need Remember when it. this happened? <laughs> <laughs> you liked it then. Please yeah. clap. You know, like, I yeah. don't... I, I don't need that. So... Look at the universe that you have. Look at the universe that exists. And tell all the stories. Tell everything. I'm not afraid of it being bad. Like I'm just one person who sometimes watches star Wars. Not everything has to be at my level. I'll be fine. Oh, but I, I will say one thing that I would like to kind of just put out there. If someone from Dave Filoni circle could like put us on their bookmark. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, Dave. 
Kevin, Dave. I, I think like, uh, yeah, I won't speak to that. I have nothing to offer those people, but I, I, uh, I think both of you are making some really salient points just in that if I could make them, if I could like say in very simple terms, because both of you spoke more eloquent, eloquently than I could, you want to hear new stories. You want to hear challenging stories. You don't care whether they fail, Sugu. You, I think you pointed that out really nicely. It doesn't matter if they're bad stories, as long as there's something that's taking risks, right? Attempting to, me, to tell that's some, all some art. new. Yeah, I, I think like what we don't. What's well, fascinating to me in the sense that Sugu earlier you were making a point about how particularly since Disney's acquisition of Lucasfilm, it's been, you know, a kind of like algorithmic sort of, well, here's what Star Wars fans like. We will make the thing that has the most likelihood of selling Financial the most tickets yeah. and getting, you know, producing the most revenue for our, for our uh, stockholders, right? Um, and fascinatingly, I suppose, or interestingly, I use that word too much, uh, a lot of fans are sh telling them clearly, like, no, not really. We, we don't actually just want to see the same thing over and over again. There might be a vocal minority or the very vocal minority who tell you this is what they want to see, right? But that's not actually what Star Wars fans want to see. They, they want to hear new stories within this world that they love, right? With these kinds of character elements that they that they care deeply about these these tropes and these storytelling techniques that make star wars what it is um and darby yes i think like as you said like in conversation listening to the past but talking about the future right speaking to the future speaking to the present what is it that we're dealing with right now as sure as fuck feels like uh Western industrial capitalism is falling down all around us and has certainly set the world on fire. Um, and people in positions of power are trying to sell us, like, no, like, we can totally fix this. You just need to keep buying shit. We'll just sell you new shit, and that's how we fix climate change. No, that's not how it actually fucking works. Um, how do we tell a story about that, right? And, I was just and listening maybe... to... Uh, sorry, mm -hmm. I, I was just listening to mm -hmm. a podcast about uh, listeners to, of this podcast would think, well, that's all. surely all that Shetty does is listen to podcasts. It's not the only thing I do, but it is a big part of what I do. Um, I once went on a date with a girl, and she turned to me. This is now 10 years ago. Went on a date with a girl, and she said to me, are you one of those people who listens to podcasts? And I said no at the time, but it turns out <laughs> I am. Um, uh, they were talking am about I the, the baddie? Salt. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they were the, the the host of the podcast were talking about the movie Saltburn, um, which I will not be saying, um, although I was interested very briefly. Um, and they were just talking about how a, a sort of salient theme in Hollywood storytelling recently has been eating the rich, right? That's just the thing that a lot of movies want to talk about. They've got characters who want to eat the rich. And because it's a thing that people are talking about in conversation right now. People say it. Uh, we haven't started doing it, unfortunately. You know, as a Marxist, neo-Marxist, uh, people have been talking about eating the rich for a long time, still haven't done it. Um, but 
you know, I think like hearing challenging, interesting stories through the the the, the lens of Star Wars. Yeah, I'm interested in that, but it doesn't. It's tricky, right? Because you get half-assed Kanto bite subplots, right? That's what we don't want to get. That I, you know, listen, I, I just it wasn't pursued as much as it could have been. I think it could have been something different. It could have been more fleshed out. Um, and I think it just has to be really careful, right, moving forward. Like when you're talking about yeah. that, and you you pointed out like you felt a sadness that Lucas um, is not really a part of the story, and the way that he was able to speak to and write about the, the struggles that were going on in the United States at the time of the original trilogy, that takes a kind of singular talent, right, to tell it in an authentic way. Yeah, I mean, as much as I love Ryan Johnson, I don't actually think Johnson is the kind of person who can really talk about class struggle, for example, in a really meaningful way. Like Knives Out, he does talk about it quite well, although it's really, really deeply laid. Like, de- it's it's done so much that, like, oftentimes when I'm talking to people about Knives Out, they don't get that aspect of it whatsoever. Hmm. And so, like, there's how do you like, anyway? Yeah, now we're going on a different trail, but yeah, I don't know. That's what I thought. We have um, for listeners. We have pods on both Knives Out and Glass Onion. Check those out. I have a ton of thoughts on what you just said regarding all of that. And yeah, really, same. You know, this, <laughs> um, I'll, uh, the Hollywood art in general media is always reflective of our culture's anxieties, and so you see that in some of these things in terms of this eat the rich sort of. Thing. there's a real agitation which is starting it's been there but it's really developing against this gross um affluence and it's running into this a sense osugu an article last night about this what, what is happening in our culture where everything is commoditized and and we're commoditizing ourselves i'm I, you know i do it every time on the pod because i pitch my books um what happens in that culture what happens to your sense of self to the culture itself when it's simply things that you're talking about earlier shoddy with agency and things like that are simply things to be purchased to be owned to be taken um you know and then your agency is reduced to a commodity you know and then when you don't have access when you don't have agency it's weaponized against you um, by the culture, by government, by bad actors. Um, I so many thoughts about that, but I, 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 I think class is a huge part of Star Wars, I think. I think Andor does a great job of investigating the role of the rich and the affluent in a galaxy far, far away, both the good and the bad. I think Andor does a really good job of showing that the real power in a galaxy far, far away and in this world is money. And you can use money for bad, and you can use it as Mon Mothma does for good, though at severe cost to herself, of course. Yeah. No, that's... Yeah, and I think that that's... Tellingly, that's why most people are in agreement that the best Star Wars story the past 10 years has been Andor, I think. like that, Even from people who don't particularly like Star Wars that well Andor is a great you know you constantly hear oh yeah I, I finally got around to watching Andor that was great actually I don't even like Star Wars so 
more stories like Andor, you know, more things that push, that push against like, you know, that they, they use Star Wars. I think as I just said a little bit ago, like use Star Wars as a milieu for having really nuanced conversation. I mean, I don't know, Andor is not quite nuanced, but meaningful conversations about things that we are struggling with, right? Like, yes, the commodification of everything that it is that we do, like. Can you get away from from using money? No. Can you use it in more meaningful ways? Can you can you have discussions about the way the money is used? Right. And I have talked, I think, about on this podcast about one of the, the eye opening experiences for me. I did a lot of volunteer work growing uh, growing up, but when I, I did a year of service with AmeriCorps Vista for a company that I won't name, my biggest takeaway that I came away telling everyone was like, yeah, uh, money is really important. You're not going to do anything. Nothing will be accomplished unless you have millions of dollars to do it, right? So you need money. Um, and, yeah, I think that touches on how you're pointing out that, like, you know, if you're going to be, like, Luthen, right? Like Luthen needs money to, to, to send to people to do things, right? And Mon Mothen needs to get money, right? And it can be used in good, meaningful ways or, or, or for bad as well. Yeah, I think that that's... Uh, hmm. That's something that I, I think then is big bold points on the wall for for Dave. Suku, you had uh, something you wanted to say too, but maybe uh, that point's long gone. But I do want to. I did want to kind of talk about something that's been sticking since we've been talking about it, which is this. Uh, I forget what the actual term is. I think third third place. Have you heard of this? The third place. No. So this is a a, a, mm-hmm. a a theory in terms of like social uh, sociology and stuff. And I might be getting the name wrong. So correct me, listeners, uh, or anyone who has heard of this. But basically, the first place is your home, where you live, where you're the safest. The second place is where you work. So you go there to uh, get the means to secure your home. The third place is this community area in in Europe. It's like a pub, your local pub that you walk to and that you go frequently so that you know everyone there. Or maybe you don't know them, but you see them often enough that eventually you start to kind of meet people. And that's the, the idea of the third place is that this place that you can go to that's in your local community and importantly relatively free that you can just go and exist i don't know there's anything free about the pub right like you're you're spending money for the beer but you can still just go there right so what access yeah what this concept or what what i was thinking about is how how much the third place has become commoditized and how like we don't really go anywhere like as a regular right that's like a local community you especially in america you tend to drive somewhere if you're driving somewhere that means like you have to be able to get back um and like there's this that that third place, which is so important for social cohesion, mm-hmm. is being commodified. Like, 
at, at least I don't know about Darby in Iowa, but Shaddy in Japan, how many parks do we can we go to and just sit, relax, and like be there for hours? It's all over the place, yeah. Right? But those are parks. Do you meet a lot of people there? If you go on the regular? Generally no. Uh, have I made new friends in the park? Uh, no, I actively avoid talking See? to people I don't know at the park. And and that's the other part of it. There is this active push. Don't talk to strangers. Like, never talk to strangers. Not keep your radar up, but, like, don't associate with them. Which means that you are not building a community. You're not, you know, like... I like to think that Darby and I, we're building uh, the shell formers community, but it's online. The local in real life community, that third place, it's, it's gone or it's on its way out. And I was just thinking like with Star Wars, you know, that's, there used to be a community about Star Wars and it's kind of leaving for gatekeeping and you know are you the right fan that kind of stuff and there's so much wrapped up in that in terms of you know the, the internet social media has commodified has turned into you know made commodity virtually everything and then so we have a parasocial relationship with everything with everyone mm -hmm. and then sometimes those lines get sometimes because it's anonymous sometimes people overreach really the twitter and and online is just sort of a is it's a rough draft of how um you know human telepathy would work because you can literally see everybody's thoughts this is just how people think you're a racist monster. You're a misogynist. You're a homophobe. You're really nice. Yes, I agree. Furiosa, the trailer, is awesome. Um, but then, because everything is now open to us, and there, the world has shrunk in so many ways, and there are so many of us, where you have this sort of reactionary thing, which is mm -hmm. to go back into camps, to go back into cliques, to go back into groups, Bubbles. which which take on different shapes depending on a person's inclination. It could be something like Star Wars. Well, Star Wars is a global generational thing. The idea that you you know that it would just be one thing for everybody is just impossible. Um, or, you know, any of these things, but, you know, the, the, the we're, we're, we live in this moment where we're all, there's so many other, there's 8 billion of us. We're never, we've never been more connected than we are right now. And so many of us are so isolated. Mm -hmm. So many of us are, 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 are never, you know, you have these, the, this, you know, these studies and this reporting and, and just, do you, do you know this from your own personal experience? people are so isolated and then really it, the kids. It, it hits it hits everybody it every it hits everybody and then people what happens 
people find some good in their life. They, they find some connection in their life. And then what happens when you share that with people? They dogpile you. Or you're just showing off. Or whatever, insert whatever complaint they have with it here. Because it's been commodified. You go on Instagram and you're like, you know, like you were, you know, whatever. We're, we're in Costa Rica or we're, wherever. And then, you know, it's like, how dare you? How dare you? be happy and be fulfilled and travel to wherever like we just live in this age of just like you have something and I don't we should all have it access because we have access to all of it but I don't have it why don't I have it what's wrong with me the problem isn't with me the problem is with Star Wars Star Wars is just wrong and then you know that goes into a million other things it's like it, there's just so many things wrong we're frustrated about so many things in in our life and because there's so many things to be frustrated about of course but it's like you know i you do need a place i get this to your point i you know there's too much there really to get my arms around but in terms of like this this desperate sort of loneliness that exists in the world i don't know why it, it does it doesn't make any sense why should it be at this stage but you do need places to go and you, you need you need you need groups you need communities you need you need you need somewhere to go and it, it, you know and and when when those places are denied to you or where they you know uh, you know or however whatever happens or just because you're you live in a community or um, maybe where those places don't exist anymore because they've closed because of COVID um, you know where or like they closed because they weren't making enough money. Well, that's what I mean that, you know, a casualty of COVID is, is small business, you know, if you live in, if you live in a relatively small community, you know, COVID doesn't exist. It never happened. But didn't that fucking weird how like, you know, our local economy just had a truck driven through it. Anyway, I digress. It is fascinating the way that, you know, communities you know, Sugu, I, I had never heard of the third place before, so um, you'll have to do some magic editing to, to delete the click clack of my keyboard while I was uh, searching it uh, on the, the audio. But like, so thank you for teaching me. Um, yeah, these things, they, these kinds of cultural properties, they do act as a kind of a proverbial water cooler, right? Or like the, 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 the playground, right? Like where you went up to your friend and like, I don't know. I really like, uh, did you watch the other day on Toonami? There was like this show about these giant robots called Gundams and they like, they were like fighting. Yeah. I actually really like those robots too. I think they're fucking awesome. Uh, now I have a new friend, you know, like and that's having that place, that social space, the virtual space, right? Conceptual space, um, where you can sort of meet, God, am I advertising for Meta? Fuck. Uh, no, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> a place where you can get online and just meet other people. Um, no, but like, I do think though that those kinds of things they can go off the rails so quite so quickly. And one of the re one of the memories I have uh, when I was studying abroad at Kansai Gaidai University in uh, Hirakata um, in Osaka Prefecture was our professor bringing up a discussion about cosplaying. And he asked this class that was a mixture of international exchange students and Japanese students. 
you know, what are your thoughts on cosplaying? And, you know, a couple of the students were like, uh, maybe I tried cosplaying once or twice. And then we had one person who was very passionate about cosplaying. And they were, they remember the cosplaying community, uh, self-proclaimed. Um, but almost immediately as that person started to talk about cosplaying, their language became like in defining cosplaying, it became more about very clearly telling us who was not a real member of the cosplaying community. Uh, that was really the only way that they could describe it was, well, there are some people who buy their clothing. Like they, they buy costumes or, you know, heaven forbid, even worse, they have an authentic looking costume because they paid someone else to to make it by hand for them. And you're only a real cosplayer if you make it yourself. Um, and it was my professor at the time, like very gently pushed back, you know, like he didn't use the word gatekeeping, but cause I think like it was an in vogue term at the time. This is in 2010, but he was kind of saying, boy, it sounds very exclusive. The kind of community that you're constructing. It doesn't sound like it's a very welcoming community, the, the way that you're describing that community, which has not been my experience having studied cosplaying in here in Japan, in Kansai in particular. Um, and it's just, it would be nice if there was such a thing as a third place, right? They are, they are there, but it is just also a very human thing to do, to be exclusive, to, to, to deny access. And I don't know what it is that it does for people to, to, to immediately put up boundaries, right? Well, here's um, the thing though, not to cut you off, but that's where education comes in. Okay. And, and so you mean by educating people that will be less prone to, to, no, to being exclusive? Like, and then we had talked before actually on another episode about this, about like education, removing barriers. And like when you, when you expose people to other groups of people through education, and that doesn't mean through school. It means education, right? When mm-hmm. when you do that, it's a lot harder for people to keep those gates up because you're being inclusive. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think to Shadi's point, though, I, I mean, there, there's just always going to be an inherent human need to, like, this is mine. And so we get so possessive about things because we have nothing. We come into the world with nothing. And like, so this is where I live. This is who I am. This is my religion. This is my identity, you know, what, like things like that. And then you get something that's just, it's just like Star Wars. You're four years old. You're just like, this is the best thing ever. You're like, you know, this is mine. And then someone comes along and like, Star Wars sucks. And you're like, fuck you, you don't exist. And like, you know, so that mentality, you know, and this is my wife. This is my car, you know, this whatever. And we just have, we, we, we just, you know, we're collectors. We're, you know, we're, we're owners in the worst sense of the word. Um, you know, we do, we're so propi- proprietary about everything. And that's always going to be, that's always going to be because it's, it's a way that you identify yourself. This is mine. Is that human is nature what, you know? or is that culture imposed from lack? Like if you grew up in lack, you need to protect yourself, right? It's human nature because our ancestors had nothing. And everything that they had, they took. 
and they when they scribbled on the cave inside the cave walls we were here this was us this was ours you know so it's our nature it's how we differentiate ourselves not just from each other but from our circumstances and the rest of the world that we live in it's just always going to be that way so we've gotten really chill about it as we've matured as a people because like you know it's like i think our generation the world that we live in now is sort of like super a lot of us are just like whatever you know like that's cool you know calm down but a lot of people are just so hyper fixated because like this commodification plus we live in in-stage capitalism people are just super geared on like this is mine i have the thing you don't have it you know pleb yeah no, okay yeah I, well I, thank you for bringing up uh late stage capitalism i think that there is also you know there is a man this is really that oh man I, I just love talking about uh, marxism i i think like the who knew that we were started off with star wars uh, and here we here we got but you know suga you said something interesting you were talking about was it because it from a lack of you know do these things come do we do these actions or these behaviors these feelings occur because of a lack, right? Um, or do they come out of a sense of tribalism, right? Or do they come out of because of this basic like human urge? I think you could also make an argument that a lot of these kinds of cultural properties or these IPs, these things that we identify so very strongly with, they're given to us as a kind of anodyne, right? Like a kind of, a, they're, they're meant within a in Western industrial society these kinds of things are commodified and sold to us as diversions right we're we're not we're told we are given vacation time benevolently by our companies right so that we can get away from the soul-crushing physically destructive monotonous lifestyle that wage labor places us in right um, and we view it, we're supposed to view it as, oh, thank, great, I got five days off this year. I can do with them whatever I want to do. And I'm <laughs> I'm going to take my leisure time and, and go on vacation to Hawaii where I'll spend what little money I have uh, in surplus, right? And the same thing goes, I think, for these cultural properties, right? They're supposed to do a lot, right? If you take it, if you go to, to Walmart, I suppose, and you buy ibuprofen, you're going to be fucking angry if that thing doesn't make your headache go away. Right? Like I bought this goddamn thing to make my headache go away. I watch this fucking TV show so I don't have to worry about the things that I'm unhappy about and it's not making me happy the way it's supposed to. Right? That's why people get fucking angry about NFL players kneeling cuz I I don't watch this for like politics and shit. And fuck you. Anyway, but um the same thing for Star Wars. It doesn't make me happy anyway the way it made me happy when I was 6. When I was six, I used to watch this and it made me happy. And I wanted to keep watching it now because life sucks. And I was promised that these things will make me not think about that for five minutes or for 45 minutes or what have you, um, minus yeah. commercials. Uh, that's, like, that's, that's really a good point. So I also think that it's a now this is going back to the very beginning, like it, it, finding those elements that would make a good Star Wars story is really threading a needle because you're trying to, you're working within the framework of a capital 
capitalist um, model of production, right? Production of art <clears throat> and production of commodities to be sold mm -hmm. that requires you to cast a wide net to make as many people as possible under the under the yoke of a lot of disparate forces that are working against them and, and trying to uh, steal the surplus of their labor constantly. Um, how do you do that? How do you do that consistently, right? Like the, the whole key to being, well, I'm really mixing a lot of different things, but like the key to being good at baseball, right, is not not to have a three or four day once a week, right? It's to have like a one for three day most days out of the week and maybe a couple of two for fours, right? Like you want to try to be consistent as much as possible over the course of a season of television or a trilogy of movies. It's hard to do. It's really, really hard to do because people are just unhappy. And for a lot of different reasons, right? They're unhappy about this other thing and project it onto, you know, a story about people flying in space and shooting lasers at each other. So, well, yeah, I, there's, oh, sorry, Sue, go ahead. No, no, Darby, go ahead. I was gonna say, there's a lot there that you can do both you 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 can you can make you can make art and, and still deal with the fact that you're selling something to someone that's just life uh you have to make peace with it the problem with star wars it's owned by a corporation which is concerned with its bottom line and it's no longer the product of a single individual or a creative impulse the great thing about dave being promoted is we're getting back to that space as much as we can in the context that currently exists uh, the thing that I was going to say, just to kind of add on to your point, Shadi, is um, uh, one thing I've noticed is that when I start up a creative hobby, it could be anything, but oftentimes the first reaction that people get is, when am I going to start selling it? I'm like, but that's not the point of a hobby. That's not the point of doing something for fun. That's a job. That's trying to make money off of it. Like that is what everyone's first reaction is. It isn't, is it fun for you to do it? It's how can you make money off of it? And I've caught uh, Darby and I, oftentimes when we talk about a movie being successful or not, or whether a movie is good or not, one of the first things we'll talk about is a box office numbers, but how much money it makes and whether a film is good is not the same thing. They're correlated, but it's not the same. When I try to learn a new hobby, I'm not trying to sell it. I'm not trying to get to the point where I can sell it. I'm just trying to create something, something that's purely for fun. Yeah, I, I on on that front maybe final thought from me because I I know we're way over on the on the uh, on the creating and selling things tip, uh, but having to do this conversation, um, the uh, I do have not sure when this will air, but but my Kickstarter uh, pre-launch page is live or it could be running when you listen to this. If you're interested in any of this and especially the idea of different people having vastly different ideas on the same thing. <laughs> You check out my Kickstarter for Black Market Heart Eververse Book 4 and arguing about the commodification 
of things that should be free, access and agency, all of these things that we're talking about. Um, check that out. I would dig it if you did. And I have, I've had to, Sugu knows, because uh, the, our podcast is in some ways a journal of me coming to peace in terms with the fact that I have to sell my shit. And it's not cool. I don't like it. It gives me heartburn. But I got to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, uh, hey, you guys hit that, that, that Kickstarter up. I mean, yeah, that, that, it's fascinating. Like, I, I, well, yeah, I don't want to go on a rabbit trail. I'll just stop. I, I think, like, teaching six year old children as I, as I do is often, you know, like, you ask, I try to avoid asking children now after teaching as long as I have, what do you want to be when you grow up? <clears throat> I try not yeah. to. I used to ask that question really commonly, and now I just never do. Yeah, so I don't I, ask I, that either. Come to think of it, I, it was a really like because I had been asked a gajillion times since I was a kid, right? Like you get my teachers asked me, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And everyone asked, me, "What do you want to be?" I was always a paleontologist. Uh, I think you can tell I didn't become a paleontologist. Um, but funny enough, that was always my answer too. It's because they're fucking cool, man. Yeah. Uh, they're cool. Fucking, fucking cool. Ross Geller did a lot to make them not cool, but they're in fact awesome. Um, uh, friends, Ross Geller. Uh, the, was he a paleontologist? Well, yeah. He was, unfortunately. Yeah, but just, Alan Grant was made it back to being cool. I would like, yeah, the coolest paleontologist. Um, but the, uh, yeah, the, the idea, like, one of the reasons I don't ask my students what they want to be when they grow up, one, because they're they're five um or six and it's kind of an absurd question but i also just you know like it's a kind of a sad thing like most of the time they have like these really cool things that they want to do they, they will tell you like in in conversation you know like, i really like drawing pictures so i really want to i really wanted just uh or the a lot of the boys was, I, I love riding trains i just want to ride trains that'd be fucking awesome if your job was just riding fucking trains you know like but that's not a job you know, and then through that conversation, you can kind of see where I, I used to teach older students as well, junior high school age kids. That's when that realization sort of tends to dawn on people, right? Oh, shit. Actually, like the, the concept of getting a job is not, oh, you work and then you get money. It's you have to sell your time mm -hmm. and you have to sell your sell your life for some money. And <clears throat> yeah, that's a. It also goes back to this thing, like, how do you make a good Star Wars story? You got to sell it. It has to be something that can be sold, right? It can't be something that, like, can't always just... You can do those two things. You can walk and chew gum at the same time, but it's a far more difficult path to walk. It's a more narrow path, right? And the, the likelihood that you'll be successful consistently is low, right? You're going to have a lot of misses, Sugu, you said you're okay with those misses as long as you occasionally hit bombs, right? It's a three true, true outcomes kind of thing, right? You'll take a bunch of strikeouts if you hit a bunch of bunch of homers, right? So, Babe Ruth. I was thinking of Kyle Schwarber, Cubs fans, Kyle Schwarber. Uh, but, yeah, let him Why go to the Phillies. Why to let him go to the Phillies? Uh, he wanted to, come, wanted to come back to Chicago. Jeez Louise. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right well 
that's that's it for me because I'm losing my voice. Uh, <clears throat> I and also I'm gonna start if I start fucking talking about the implosion of the 2016 Chicago Cubs after after this like that that'll just we're not gonna get out of that one. So yeah, we should we should probably uh, call the game. <laughs> On that one there, because that, that's a rabbit hole, but it's really cool, uh, Cubs winning the series. But, yeah, maybe maybe we'll call it there. Really interesting conversation. Um, uh, check out our, we, you know, this, there's some intersections here with the, some recent pods that we've done, and then, of course, some older ones, too. Check yeah. out all the stuff. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Check out uh, Shadi joined us for a couple Ahsoka episodes where we talked about Check those out as well. And also yeah, those were fun. Uh, about Gundam. <laughs> Gundam and... Um, Dune. Is there another one? Dune, yep. Dune is coming out eventually, right? Dune 2. Dune 2, up, looking right? forward. It moved up March 2nd, I think, here in the States. Um, yeah, looking forward to that very much so. Very excited about that. I don't know how to... I saw a poster the other day. Like I didn't know that there was a Willy Wonka prequel coming out. Oh, yeah, with the same and, guy from Dune. And I saw one of my students in the hallway because it's posted outside the... For some reason, we have a poster for the Willy Wonka prequel in the hallway outside of my class and um, in Japanese. And like one of the students is like, look, Mr. Hossein, it's Willy Wonka. And I looked at him like, that's Paul Atreides, uh, but wearing Willy Wonka's hat. So it was just very disconcerting to see. Uh, I won't be running out to see that movie. Uh, no. Anyway, thanks a lot, yeah. guys. Thank you for coming fun. out, Shaddy. It was Thank great. Thank you, Shaddy. Come back sometime. Uh, we'll uh, we'll talk more. Yeah, if the you know whenever this podcast gets uploaded, if the Niners do lose the the Eagles, we'll just have to edit those out. We really don't need to hear any discussion about <laughs> about that because when I listen to the podcast episode again, it'll be really depressing. I won't uh, know <laughs> anything. <laughs> All right. Well, y'all have a good one now. Yeah. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. That'll do it for today, folks. Thanks again for joining us. Once again, I'm Darby Harn, and you can find more information about me and my books at my website, darbyharn.com. I'm also on Twitter, at Darby Harn. Sugu, how can they find out more about us in the podcast? You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach us at our email address, shelfwarmers at gmail.com. Send us feedback about the show, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations, and insights on our perspectives. We're always happy to hear from you, our audience, and we'd love to share your opinions on our next show. Again, that's shelfwarmers at gmail.com. And if email isn't your thing, we're also on Twitter. You can reach us at shelfwarmers. Give us a holler. We have new episodes every Friday. As always, remember to stay safe, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when you can. Stick around to listen to a free clip of more content from us. Subscribe today and you can hear the rest of the following and more. Bye-bye. <laughs>